0: All right, well, let's look at Ephesians first. You're probably already there. So, uh, Ephesians chapters 1 to 3. Is this okay? I'm not, like, blowing your eardrums out? Okay. I I have an apology to make, first of all. Um, Last week, I was talking about, in Galatians 6, Paul said, focus on yourself, basically, and what you're doing for the kingdom instead of spending most of your time criticizing or faulting others something to that effect so we were talking about that and I had referenced first fruits of Zion and how they made a doctrinal shift and they really sometimes some of the analyses of it got pretty personal people were criticizing their motives and all this stuff and I I I think I said something to the effect of some people should spend more time focusing on what they're doing for the kingdom themselves and stop wagging their lips about other people or something and I don't know why but after no one talked to me about it, but afterwards I just felt a little twinge. I, I felt like I I didn't feel like that was in the spirit. At that point, I was beginning to rant because it's a pet peeve of mine when people criticize other people and never fo- and, and and ignore themselves. Right. So anyway, I, I want to apologize to you guys for that. Yeah, I, I I really desire in whatever communicating I'm doing to do it in a humble and a gentle way because yeshua is humble and gentle and without him we're not at all and i'm sure not you know so you know i, I just when when i feel that from him i I'm, I'm happy to say okay guys that was me i don't think that was God's god spirit so yeah don't learn from me on that one okay <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that sounds like a good plan yeah well um Here's a quote from Martin Luther for you. Uh, This is in Table Talk. It's these discussions that he had with some of his his primary disciples, and they wrote some of it down. He says, uh, The Hebrew language is the best language of all. If I were younger, I would want to learn this language, because no one can really understand the Scriptures without it. For, although the New Testament is written in Greek, it is full of Hebraisms and Hebrew expressions. It is therefore been aptly said that the Hebrews drink from the spring— The Greeks drink from the stream that flows from it, and the Latins drink from the puddle. (laughs) So, his his main thing there. Of course, you know, in the academic world in the last hundred years, there has been question about the New Testament, or at least some of it being written in a Semitic language. But the point there is, the New Testament is packed with Hebraisms either way. And I thought I'd just point out two of them to you in um, Paul's letter here to this early, shall we call it a Messianic community? They believed in Yeshua the Messiah, you know, and they were a community. So we'll call them an early messianic community in in, in the city of Ephesus. Um, Firstly, the way he opens this this letter is classic in verse 3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our master Yeshua the Messiah. And then he goes on to list all these things that he does and all all these things, uh, who he is. He describes him. And uh, that's a classic opening way to pray uh, in the Jewish tradition of prayer. You probably notice like every single blessing we say begins with Baruch, right? Baruch Ata, blessed are you. Um here he's saying, Blessed is he, blessed is the uh the God and Father. Actually there there's some interesting parallels too between what he uh what he lists here and uh like the backbone of the daily Jewish prayers from that era and today it's like the Shemona Esray, the 18 blessings prayer. It begins by talking about the Fathers and so that's how he opens this. It's it's kind of neat so you know if you want to like kind of get in the groove of the more traditional Jewish way of praying uh, you know in your personal prayer time just say blessed are you Father and then list a bunch of things that he's done and say a bunch of things about who he is and uh, you'll be you'll be getting in the groove there with that. You can never go wrong you know because you know, what he's done doesn't change regardless of how we feel. And uh, who he is is unalterable too. So that's nice, you know. Um, then also in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he uses this phrase, the sons of disobedience. Sounds like really rebellious kids or something, hey? But um, th- that's a classic Hebraism also. if uh, Sometimes they'll say, quote, the sons of whatever. And as an adjective, that's what d- describes you so uh, for instance there's the sons of light in uh, in another section of paul's letters and in the essene uh, literature from the dead sea scrolls the sons of light means someone who's enlightened or someone who's on the light side as opposed to the dark side right so it's just kind of cool that like paul's hebraic thinking comes through even in like a letter that we have in english that was translated from greek so that's like a whole sons of disobedience thing um let's just let's just begin looking through some of Ephesus we're really gonna key in on Ephesus I mean yeah on Ephesians 2 uh, we can look at a couple things in the beginning though I, I love how Paul talks about Yeshua in this letter uh, I-, I just find like when people talk about Yeshua when they preach or stuff in the scriptures that's like explicitly about Yeshua that's what really turns me on like I, I really lock in at that point you know and then some other stuff like in Leviticus where it talks about the ritual for cleansing the leper um that's cool like on a literal level it seems kind of like some mystical symbolism going on and stuff but when i think about that in the grid of what it communicates about the gospel of messiah that's what really gets me going too so we're going to be looking at that later so let's just look at what paul says about yeshua a couple things about him in here Um, firstly in verse 3 he says that the father blessed us in messiah so like all the blessings of the torah we experience them when we live our life in the parameters of who yeshua is like in relationship with him discipleship to the master you know that's where the blessing is so outside of yeshua you don't get the blessings of the torah you get like the litany of curses that we all cringe when we read every year right um then in 1 verse 7 he says that we are redeemed through yeshua's blood and that's really precious actually i'll share something with you uh, how many of you have been to a Jewish-style betrothal before? Okay, I probably... I, I have, because I got betrothed to Genevieve, and Genevieve has, because she got betrothed to me at the same event, coincidentally. And, um, that, you know, and we, did it, we did it like in the, kind of the, the, the biblical-slash-traditional Jewish way. And uh, one of the things you do in a betrothal, which is like, you know, the formalized engagement, in the West, you know, you... You pop the question, you give her the ring, and it's a, it's a good deal, you know. If you're, if you're smart, you'll be on good terms with the girl's dad and ask him first, of course. But, but in the traditional Jewish betrothal, it's a much more serious event. It's like you do the legal side of your marriage ceremony, basically the betrothal, right? Um, anyway, one of the things you do at the betrothal is the suitor gives the father of the bride-to-be a Mohar, M-O-H-A-R, Mohar, and that means like the bridal price. And what he does is he gives them like five silver coins. And silver in Hebrew represents redemption. So it's uh, like kind of redeeming the girl or whatever. And five is the number of life. So it's kind of like this symbolic way of the suitor saying, I'm committing to give my life for your daughter to lay down my life to serve her in an ongoing way, Um, that's the idea. So, Yeshua is like the ultimate of that, because he literally gave his life. He gave his five silver coins, his very soul, he poured it out on the ground, you know, in a very, very brutal um, death, so that you could belong to him, so that we could belong to him. Yeah, so I, I, I value that. I, don't know. I think about that every day when we pray. It's like, wow, you know, it was like almost 2,000 years ago. That's a long time. But just that my Savior, whom I love, like underwent some brutal stuff so that I could belong to him, you know. It's like and it, you can never stop appreciating that. So I like, I, I like how Paul brings that out. Um, in verse 6, he says that Yeshua is the Beloved. Isn't that cool? That's, like, that's a title of the Messiah, the Beloved. Yeshua is the Beloved. So, like, He's the Beloved of the Father. Uh, I think that's probably the primary meaning. He's the Beloved of the Bride also, us. It means the Father loves Him. Here, here's, here's, here's a question. Have you ever not felt loved by God? I have. Like, some days it's like, I don't feel like God even exists. And if He does exist... I'm just not feeling the love, you know? I don't know. Maybe you're going through harsh situations or you've suffered abuse or you're hurting or life is just not fun or you're just like feeling really unplugged spiritually. I don't know. Have you ever felt like that for weeks or months at a time? Yeah, I mean, I've struggled with pretty harsh depression, especially in my teens. And especially when you're wrestling with depression, you do not feel the love. Kind of the rule right but I, I'm, I'm just thinking about this and like we've been talking about this for almost a month off and on you know about when we really focus on like messiah's passion and the sufferings that he went through often it awakens a new love in our hearts and we really see the father's love demonstrated but just i'm thinking like if Yeshua is the beloved then like the closer we can get to him and the more we can experience life like in close rapport with him i think we're going to feel the father's love more because, you know, the Father's always loving the Son. The Son's the beloved, right? So when we get in the Son, and when we get like in a really close relationship with Him, you're going to start feeling the love again. So, that's something I feel like I'm learning on a personal level. So if you have times when you're like, I do not feel the love right now, I don't know if God loves me, I encourage you, you're not going to want to like, you're probably not going to want to think about Yeshua, or start talking with Him, or reading the Gospels, but that's the time when you really want to dig into the Gospels. That's the time when you want to re-center on Messiah. Um, that, that's, that's a practical suggestion that I would make uh, based on that concept. That's what I get out of that, like Yeshua being the beloved. Um, in one twenty-two, I like this one too. He says that Yeshua, um, in verse 20, says he, he, uh, the Father raised Yeshua from the dead and then he exalted him over like everybody in this world and the world to come. And then in verse 22 it says and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church the ecclesia the congregation which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all so that's special hey like the father has given yeshua to us as a community uh, as our head and that means like for any local assembly of believers Even though Yeshua is invisible and He hasn't really been around for a couple thousand years, like, He's there and He's our head. That means He's, like, He's leading us. He's initiating what happens in our community life. And that's what defines us as a congregation. So, you know, where Yeshua takes us is where we're going to go. And our objective is, where are you taking us, Yeshua? Because you're the head of this body. Yeah. So I really like chapter 1 and how it gives us a look at our beloved Savior. I don't know. Some of this is pretty high language too. Like saying that we as the body are the fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow. I, I don't feel like I understand that. All I know is like somehow he fills He fills us and he reaches the world through us. And um, okay, here's here's another verse like that. It's, okay, in verse 10 it says... Okay, this is the New American Standard Bible. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Did you get that? It's like, I don't know. He lo- loses me after about five words there, honestly. Um, so I, 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 uh, I brought a nice collection of books today because I want to break down some of the stuff with you guys. This is a cool book. The New Testament from 26 translations. Um, it has like all of these different translations and their perspectives on it. This was, um, this was edited by Curtis Vaughn, who was my dad's favorite professor at Southern Baptist Seminary in Dallas, Texas. I was named after him, and uh, he gave me a Greek New Testament as a baby gift. And uh, so anyway, this is kind of a special book. So let's, let's, uh, let's look at a couple different versions of that verse in here cuz it seems like it's really big like overarching you know like bigger than global uh in terms of like what the thought like the, the how you see it fits into the plan you know so um let's see what verse is that verse 10 okay so the king Jim, king jimmy says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Okay, so I'll just I'll read you a couple of different versions here, and maybe we can kind of get a, f- a bigger picture. Um, Unto a dispensation of the fullness of the times to sum up all things in Christ. That's the ASV, the ALF, whatever that is, says, Unto the dispensation of the fullness of the times to gather up together all things in Christ. Uh, Weymouth, for the government of the world when the times are ripe for it, the purpose which he cherished in his own mind of restoring the whole creation to find its one head in Christ. I like that one. For the government of the world when the times are ripe for it. Um, Knox, Knox's translation, to give history its fulfillment by resuming everything in him. I like that one. Uh, RSV, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Um... Phi, Whatever that's short of that all human history shall be consummated in Christ Uh, TCNT in view of that divine order which was to mark the completion of the ages when he should make everything center in him I like that one everything centered in Messiah Yeah, so those are a couple like different translations that try to give the fuller meaning What, what do you get out of that? yeah yeah like he's ultimately going to be the focal point i don't I, I get the picture too like everything in the universe is on a collision course with Messiah, and if you don't like him, it's going to be painful you know like for people who have problems with the the the, the centrality like the doctrine of the centrality of messiah like it's you're not going to be happy in the end you know so i don't we can we can never be too yeshua centered hey because it like that's where it's going to be. It's going to be all about him. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I, that's what I got out of that verse. It's be all about the and about the kingdom. Right. To have a king with absolute power. Thankfully he'll be very benevolent. Yes. Unless you, like, rebel. Um that's kind of scary their whole rod of iron thing yeah okay let's look at um, chapter 2 and some stuff here too um, this is like one of the big verses you memorize in Sunday school so you can rattle it off and you rattle it off so many times you kind of forget what it really means uh, often that was the case for me Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 it says for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's the gift of Elohim, God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. And then in verse ten, it says that He did create us in Messiah Yeshua, so that we can do good works. So it's kind of like part of the part of the equation too. So let me ask you something. Okay, it's, if 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 it says in Matthew one that Yeshua's mission was to save His people from their sins, and if it says in First John that sin is anomia, it's lawlessness or Torahlessness then could it be that part of salvation is Yeshua saving us from breaking the Torah could it be yeah I I think you can make a pretty strong biblical case for that you know 1st John says sin is lawlessness it's transgressing God's law right so if God says something in his law he says do this and we don't do it for whatever reasons the Bible says that's sin and Yeshua came to save us from that or if God says like don't do this and we do it, that's in, and you know, the Bible says Yeshua came to save us from it. So you, know, you could kind of say that like the expression of salvation will be us doing the stuff God said in the Bible. Uh, another way of saying that would be Torah observance. Like Torah observance means doing the stuff in the Bible. right? Um, now, let's, let's, let's carry that thought on a little farther. If we replace this where it says you've been saved, if you replace that concept with Torah observance, because doing the Bible observing the Torah is the natural result of being saved I think we could draw that conclusion then what 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 is that saying what it's saying is like okay so if you're if you're doing stuff in the Bible if you're observing the Torah if you're obeying God you're doing it by his grace it's because of his grace and it's a faith thing and it's a gift from him it's not of you right? Uh, like okay sometimes in the messianic community because we're doing some things from the Torah that a lot of the body of messiah isn't doing it's easy to say these are my distinctives and this is what I do and I see the light and I just don't understand why these people don't get it and why they don't see the light and why aren't they doing this stuff you know and I mean okay seriously sometimes I do wrestle with that it's like God said over and over in Exodus 12 and 13 Passover is forever for my people for all time you know and I don't know. So sometimes you can read that and you can be like, how come people don't get it? And th- That verse, I believe, is there for us just to say, like, stay humble because the only reason you're doing these things is because God decided for you too. Like, He initiated that. You didn't. It's, it's a grace thing. And it's like faith, which is the opposite of, like, about us initiating and us doing the work and stuff, eh? So, yeah. I, I feel like it's a pretty relevant verse for... For, for us as a, as a congregation. Okay. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, this is interesting. Sometimes Paul, in his epistles, he'll address specific subsets of that community, right? Um, in the early, in the early uh, messianic communities, you know, the early church, Like, you'll have people from a Jewish background, and then you'll have people who hung out at the synagogue but maybe weren't Jewish, and then you'll have ex-hardcore pagans, right? And you can tell, sometimes Paul will be speaking to the ex-hardcore pagans. Like in Galatians, you remember he talked about them going back to uh, observing certain superstitious garbage stuff. Um, So it's really important to take note of that, right? Who is he talking to here? So here's an example. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Messiah Yeshua, for the sake of you Gentiles. So, who, who's he talking to there? Quote, cool, you Gentiles. Okay, in some, okay, some people in the Messianic community have this understanding of Gentile as a dirty word. It's like, don't call me a Gentile, that's a dirty word. And, okay, you're more than a Gentile. If your idea of Gentile means you have nothing to do with Israel and whatever, then no, you're not a Gentile. But if Gentile means like you're not. Technically Jewish or if that's your background. That's okay I just I just want to point out there that Paul called these people in the community from a non-jewish background He called them Gentiles and that was okay. Can can we agree with, on that? Okay, so that's important. That's an important verse to factor in because some people like to ignore verses like that So let's back up and look at Ephesians 2 and see what he has to say to people from a non-jewish background I mean that doesn't this isn't gonna apply to any of us because we all grew up in the synagogue, right? And we're all very, very Jewish. Um, no, so that means that this does apply to us. So let's read Ephesians two, like he was—he's like talking to us with today. Um, in Ephesians chapter two, verse eleven, it begins with "therefore." And when you see the word "therefore," you have to ask that question: What is the "therefore"? Therefore, what is "therefore"? Therefore, it's there to say okay so i establish a set of facts or something and then i go on to say therefore let's draw a conclusion right so starting in verse 11 he starts talking about the relationship between jewish and gentile believers in the body of messiah but he he prefaces that with all of this stuff about who we are in yeshua right so he's saying this is who you are in yeshua this is what the father's done for you therefore and then he goes to the nitty-gritty of um uh, of how jewish and gentile people interrelate and and how believers from the nations fit into this thing, eh? So, um, that's really relevant today. And let's, let's, let's break that down together. Um, firstly, in verse 11, he says, You, the Gentiles, quote, in the flesh. What does in the flesh mean? Human body. Human body. That's, Paul's, that's Paul's talk for, like, physical, right? Okay, so when he says Gentiles in the flesh, that means you physical Gentiles. Why did he specify that? Why did he have to specify, okay, physically are Gentiles? Maybe because on a deeper spiritual level he saw them as more than that? Could that be the case? I think so. Okay, let's continue on. You who are called, quote, uncircumcision by the so-called, quote, circumcision. Uh, what, is, what, is Paul, what does that mean in Paul talk? The, the circumcision is who? Yeah, it's like technically Jewish people, right? And then the uncircumcision are people who aren't Jewish, right? So that's interesting too. It's like you who... Okay, so you who physically are Gentiles and Jewish people call you non-Jews. Okay, so that's how he starts. That's kind of interesting. It means that maybe he sees, like, quote, Gentile believers as being more than that. Maybe he sees them as being at least partially Jewish in terms of... Well, you know, when you believe in the Bible and you do stuff from the Bible, it kind of looks Jewish sometimes. Maybe that's what he's talking about. And I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not with where we're going in this. I'm not saying it's about being Jewish or not. Right? It's just this was a big issue in the first century, and you know what? With Messianic Judaism today, it's still it's still an issue in some congregations, right? So we wanna we wanna see what Paul has to say about this. Um, verse thirteen. I love verse thirteen. He says now. In Messiah Yeshua, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. So, keyword there, brought near. Um, let's back, we, we can back up one verse. He says brought near. The, it raises the question, brought near to what? It's like, okay, I've been brought near, but to, to what or to who, eh? so maybe maybe verse 12 helps us understand that he he lists like three things you were at that time you were separate you were excluded and you were strangers so you were separate from a person messiah you were excluded from a people israel and you were strangers to what the covenants of promise which is what defines the people of god and you didn't have any hope and you were without god so did you notice that's in past tense okay let's break that down i as we go through this um i think you could i i would label this like this as inclusion theology right um you know historically the church has often been guilty of replacement theology which says we are the new israel we're the spiritual israel god is done with the jewish people he's kind of thrown them in the wastebasket of history and now it's all about us so you have bibles where you know you have the book of isaiah and it has promises to israel and those bibles in the note in you know in the chapter headings will say promises to the church uh, i'm trying to remember if that's the Scofield bible or something it's a pretty it's a pretty famous bible and it says stuff like that right that that's uh, that's replacement theology um let's just look at ephesians 2 and see if replacement theology really flies or if paul more teaches something along the lines of inclusion theology that's what that's what we'll call it um yeah let's break down these these three things okay separate it from messiah that's pretty obvious right you were separate from him now you have this union with messiah you uh you you have a genuine relationship with him Um, secondly he says you were excluded from the commonwealth of israel okay that word commonwealth how how do your translations render that word citizenship Citizenship. what's that National national life okay Yeah, I looked up the word. The Greek word is like Strong's forty-one seventy-four, and it's politia. Everybody say politia. It's from it's 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 root is Strong's forty-one seventy-seven, polites. Everybody say polites. Yeah, it's it's from where we get the words like politician, uh, policy, police. All of these words police have to do with civic life right a politician has to do with national life on a political level uh, policy is what governs the way a system runs so all of these English words that are spinoffs of this original Greek word give us a better understanding um, this 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 root word polites it turns up four other times in the uh, the New Testament the apostolic scriptures and in those other four times it's translated as citizen all right so um, I'll give you I'll give you an example. What's this? Passport. It's my passport. Essentially, what does it say? It says I'm a citizen of this country. Uh, the inference is I live in this country. These people are my people, and I live by the rules of this country. Also, I'm governed by the the law of Canada. That's the idea, hey? So... Let me watch this really closely, because this is worth at least five grand on the black market, and I don't trust any of you. I'm <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um, it also says, it implies that Canada will go to bat for you if you get out of trouble. Like right! You are also have the protection of the government, not just,
1: not just following the laws, but you are guaranteed their
0: intervention. Right, yeah, Canada will go for bat, uh, for, bat for you if you're in trouble. I'm, I'm repeating you not because I'm dumb, but because it's for our live stream, friends. Yeah? Okay. So, so anyway, does that give us a fuller understanding of this? Paul is talking to Gentile believers from a Gentile background, and he said, you were, past tense, excluded from this word of Israel. Uh, citizenship in Israel, the national life of Israel, living by the rules that Israel lives by could we draw that conclusion based on that word it's like when you come to faith in messiah you are included in greater israel and there are there are real privileges with that there are rights included in that but there are there are also um responsibilities it's like you have a new you're living in a new system there maybe a new set of customs for you to adopt maybe there's some new uh, New rules. Maybe there's some new house rules that you're not used to. You know, uh, maybe it involves some change. Yeah. Okay. So that's um, here. Actually, I'm going to read to you a little bit from. This is like some commentary from David Stern. He was a pioneer Messianic Jew. He lived in Jerusalem. Um, he's I think he's in his 80s now. I love this um, Jewish New Testament commentary. It's kind of like. I I highly recommend it if you want to understand passages better, because like, okay, the the whole movement that we're in, it's about returning to the Bible and doing things by the Bible, right? So, you know, commentary like this is helpful. It helps us understand the word better. I'll I'll, I'll read to you a little section from here, um, what what Stern has to say about this. Um, So, you were estranged excluded, alienated from the national life of Israel. The Greek word translated national life is politia, which gives us English words like polity and politics. Aren't in Gingrich's, a Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, offers as possible meanings citizenship, commonwealth, state, way of life, conduct. But Gerhard Kittel's Theological Dictionary of the New Testament points out that in the Septuagint, what's the Septuagint? Yeah, Greek Greek translation of the Old Testament, right? Yeah, Politeia in the Septuagint, quote, does not mean civil rights, constitution, or state, but rather the pious order of life, which, ordained by the law of Moses, is inherited from the fathers. With one exception, it is a religious and moral concept rather than a political concept. It denotes the walk determined by the Mosaic law. So Paul was writing to a bunch of people who read the Septuagint? Who read the Hebrew Bible translated into Greek? And so, to them, this word "Politia" was used as like doing the Torah, basically. So it's like you used to be excluded from that. Now you're in. This that's like that's our heritage. Uh, he goes on to say the same article states that in the present verse, Politia means civil rights. It is like what you said, Julie, civil rights, and is, quote, used in the figurative sense of the privileged religious position of Israel as the recipient of the promise corresponding to uh, deficiency. Yeah, I'll leave it there for for that. But good reading. I recommend David Stern if uh, you haven't read him before. Page two. How how does Paul Harvey say it? No, I don't know. Yeah, but when he goes to another page in his notes, he always says like, page whatever. (laughs) It's funny. Uh, Okay, page two. Let's let's, like going on with that. In uh, chapter two, verse 19, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. No longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints, the holy people, and of God's household. So it's like, this is your family now. This is your home. Your fellow citizens. Fellow citizens of what? Israel. Israel, yeah. In the context, uh, another place he says, our citizenship is in heaven. So that, that's part of the deal. And then, in, okay, and then in 3 verse 6, how does that work on a practical level? This is, this is cool. He says, um, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Messiah Yeshua through the gospel. Okay, fellow heirs of what? It's another one of those things where he says a fellow heir, and you have to say, well, of what? What's the promise? What are some of the promises in the Abrahamic covenant, say, or the, 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 the covenant with Israel? Yeah? That was like one of the big ones. He said over and over, I'm going to give you the land of Israel forever. Yeah, his blessing. Having him side with you in fights. That's always nice. <laughs> Just stop and think about that though. Like, Could we draw that conclusion that part of the inheritance of every believer, including like total hardcore Gentiles, is when Yeshua comes back, he will be inheriting the land of Israel. According to Ezekiel, the last eight chapters of Ezekiel, could it be that you'll be there with him? Could it be that you'll be a fellow heir? As his bride? I mean, I really hope that we get to like, be close to Yeshua in the Messianic era as the bride, you know? So if he's living in Israel, if he's ruling on the throne of David from Jerusalem, I don't know, maybe we'll get to live in his neighborhood. So that could be part of your future. Yeah. Sheree, you're going to Israel in like May, aren't you? Yeah, you'll get to like have a look at your maybe your future real estate or something. Be like, so Yeshua, where are we gonna live in the in the kingdom when you come back, hey? It's like I I really like that area. Maybe I could have that hill (laughs) Yeah. And again, like, okay, you could say people could hear that and be like, freak out and be like, that's replacement theology. They believe that Gentiles are gonna take over the land of Israel. And no, that's not true. Yeshua is going to take over the land of Israel and his friends are going to be in on the deal. And it doesn't matter if they're Jewish or Gentile. That's my understanding. So, I don't know, throw, stu- throw Bibles and stuff at me if you think I'm wrong or you think I'm crazy, okay? Um, <laughs> here, I- I'm going to read you another little section from another book. Um, this is a book called Vintage Church by a pastor named mark driscoll i've really been enjoying listening to mark Driscoll's sermons lately he's really passionate he yells um he's he's like he's a boxer or he used to be a boxer and and he's also like he's kind of half stand-up comedian half boxer half like theologian well i guess he's Mm -hmm. thirds you could say anyway i I really like some of his stuff he's kind of i've been enjoying listening to him and so anyway i'm reading this book right now vintage church and uh, he has a little section in here called What is the Relationship Between Israel and the Church? And let's just like turn on our critical thinking apparatuses. I guess they'll be apparati technically, right? Um, yeah, because octopus, octopi. So apparatus, apparati, right? So let's turn on our critical thinking apparati. And uh, let's just like, let's just read this and, uh, and just see what we And he, he covers a couple different uh, theological perspectives here. See what we think. He says, The church is not Israel. Israel is an ethnicity, a nation, and a religious system. The church is none of these. Okay, stop. What do you think of that? Okay, based on Ephesians 2, do you think it's possible to simply categorically say, the church isn't Israel? I don't, from, from everything I hear Paul saying in Ephesians 2, he's trying to say, you're part of this thing. Okay? Um, He says the church is none of these, including a nation. I do think of how Peter says, you are a holy nation. We're just thinking um, objectively here. When the Bible, Old and New Testaments, uses the term Israel, it always means a group of Jewish people, not the, quote, ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, Revelation 5, 9, which is the church. So I don't know i'm going to introduce another term to you there Um, okay we talked about replacement theology we talked about inclusion theology which is my position this would be what i would label separatist theology separatist theology says there is a separation between the gentile church and the people of israel and never the twain shall meet basically all right and i personally feel like separatist theology glosses over a lot of key verses and chapters Anyway, let's keep reading. Some, next paragraph, some Reformed theologians see Israel as having been replaced by the church so that it is defined as spiritual Israel. The church in the new covenant occupies the place that Israel occupied in the old. But that would mean God reneges on his promises to the ethnic children of Abraham. And then he lists some verses where God makes promises that he has yet to have made good on to Israel. So, like, kudos to to, uh, Mark Driscoll for that. He does say we don't believe in replacement theology. Um, God made promises to ethnic Israel and he's not going back on them. Next paragraph. Older dis- dispensational theologians in the vein of Lewis Perry Schaeffer see Israel and the church as essentially two different peoples with whom God works separately throughout eternity. Okay, so there's that separatist theology idea. Their defining hermeneutic, which is a method of interpretation, is never to blur the distinction between Israel and the church but that negates the statements of God breaking down the dividing wall to form one new humanity and then he has the Ephesians 2 verse alright so it's a challenge isn't it if you have a strict separatist theology then you have to ignore the fact that God broke down the dividing wall so uh, let's let's look at this is his conclusion let's look at this paragraph and tell me what you think it seems best to say that there's one people of God saved by grace alone through faith alone in the promised Messiah alone who are organized in different administering institutions of God's one kingdom purpose the physical and spiritual descendants of Abraham Jewish people and especially Jewish believers are the firstborn of God's working with the establishment of the new covenant in Acts 2 the people from every tribe and language and people and nation join in the body of Christ sharing in the inaugurated promises of the new covenant but not in the Mosaic religion and national structure of Israel. Let's stop there. What do you think of that statement? Based on Ephesians 2, do you think you can categorically say, uh, people from every language and nation join in the body of Christ, sharing in the inaugurated promises of the new covenant, but not in the Mosaic religion and national structure of Israel? National structure means politya. Paul just said you were excluded from that, implying you're included (coughs) now, eh? So the challenge is to believe all the verses, factor all the verses into our theology. Eh? Um, I, I really love Mark for saying this next thing. He says the Old Testament prophecies of a national restoration of Israel, and then he references these last chapters in Ezekiel that are a picture of the Messianic era, and uh, Acts one five. Remember the apostle said, "Was well, is, is it this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel?" And Yeshua didn't say, "Guys, you're missing the point. That's not going to happen." He just kind of said it's a matter of timing, and it's up to the Father, the timing. So, okay, so he says the Old Testament prophecies of a national restoration of Israel will be fulfilled by racially Jewish Christians in the millennium who finally, quote, shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Okay, so that's kind of cool. He does anticipate that these prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled will be enjoyed by ethnically Jewish Christians in the Messianic era. But again, is that raising up that middle wall of partition? Is that separatist theology? Does Ephesians 2 really countenance that? I don't think so. So you know, like I like I said, I really uh, Mark Driscoll is very Yeshua-centered. Um, he's he's doing a great job in Seattle, bringing people to, to faith. A lot of like people that generally never like would go to church and stuff. But uh, I just wanted to I wanted to read that par- that that section to you and just see what you think. You know, so like, that gives us a pretty good overview of the the positions out there. Uh, and here's another verse that echoes that. I left the best for last. The third thing that Paul says. The Gentile believers were strangers to is the covenants of promise In other words, you're in now. Did you notice? He said covenants in the plural Which covenants are those? Okay, but seriously think about that. He didn't say covenant of promise ie the New Testament He said covenants inferring previous covenants in addition to the new covenant Okay, that this is a huge 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 verse like um, I, I, I love my dad, and I have theological conversations with him sometimes. You know, he went to seminary, he was a Southern Baptist and Alliance pastor, and he lives in Ottawa now, and we talk on the phone sometimes. And so, you know, he, he, we have talks about things that I, that I believe. And um, one of the things, he, he, his stance is the new covenant is the only one that currently is valid, and all the previous ones are <laughs> annulled and, and done away with and stuff, right? And so, this is a verse that I've, I've brought up and I've brought up in in conversation with other people too. He said, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. Okay? So, two, two things we can gather from this. It's more than just the new covenant that we're a part of, that we are sharers in. You know, covenants imply promises, they imply privileges, responsibilities, all this stuff, right? Secondly, Paul saw the covenants of the Old Testament not as covenants of legalism and law, or works Paul saw the Abrahamic Covenant the Mosaic Covenant the Davidic Covenant as covenants of promise that's a very positive view of God's covenants right so I just if I could give you like one really good piece of ammo for theological conversations I'm gonna drop that one in okay that's like your like your anti-tank missile launcher right huge right because like i i care about this stuff you guys like we're doing some stuff differently than most of the christian world and i really don't want to get wonky like i really want to be biblical right and so that's why like i'm taking time to talk about this because this is about who we are and it starts with your identity and from there it'll be expressed in how you do life and stuff right so that's why i'm like i don't know it's I feel like I'm kind of preaching to the choir. Like, we already believe this, right? But I just, I want us to be really strong in this. Because, like, no, like, Paul is really widely accepted, right? If, if you're, like, doing stuff from the Old Testament, people will usually spit Paul at you to try and tell you that you shouldn't be doing that, right? So just spit some Paul back. It's kind of the idea. So here's a couple <laughs> more verses. Um, chapter 2, verse 15. It says that, okay, in verse 14 it says, Yeshua is our peace. He broke down the dividing wall. Okay, the dividing wall, you'll notice David Stern's translation had the machitza. The machitza in, in the temple, in the second temple era, was this literal wall. Archaeologists have even uncovered the plaques that were all along this wall. And it said, Gentiles can go no further than this in the temple under pain of death. So, like, if you're a Gentile, you are not allowed into the inner courts of the temple, or you die. And I don't know how they tell, if you're a Gentile or not. I mean, there's kind of like the, hey, I'm not going to go there right now. But um, anyway, if you're a Gentile, you're going to die, right? And, and, and that's contextually, that's what Paul was talking about. He's saying Gentiles are no longer on, in the outer courts. You can mingle with the Jewish people and with national Israel in your worship of God. Um, he goes on to say, so yeshua is our shalom so like if there's tension in the body of messiah between messianic jews and gentiles it's because yeshua is not central when yeshua becomes central in our theology he's the shalom and and that's that's like the litmus test genevieve in verse 15 this is going this is like a classic verse that people will say will refer to when they say the law is abolished um The New American Standard Bible says, By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Okay, Um, That's how many Bible translations will have it. They'll say the enmity is the law, and that's what Yeshua abolished. Now let me ask you, did Yeshua say that he came to abolish the law? Did he say that we should even think that? No. He said, don't even think that I came to abolish the law, right? So we're not allowed to think that. That's like, that theological conclusions is out of bounds, right? Blow the whistle on that one, referee, right? So what's he talking about? Um, David Stern, in his, his, his commentary, he has an excellent commentary on that. I'm not going to go into it. But the Greek there can be read in one of two ways. Um, and the New American Standard Bible, when it inserts words for clarity, it italicizes them. And which is here is italicized, okay? So I'm going to read this to you. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is, those words aren't there. So it says the enmity of the law of commandment. So, the, like, uh, for instance, uh, David Stern's complete Jewish Bible or the Catholic Jerusalem Bible, they will say that he abolished the enmity which was caused by the Torah. Which. Uh, which was given occasion by the Torah, right? So here's the question. Did Yeshua abolish the enmity or did he abolish the Torah? We're forced, if we want to be consistent with Scripture, to say he abolished the enmity. And that's a really good thing. I'm ready to let that go, the enmity, right? Greg? In practical terms, how would that be expressed? Yes, Cindy? That's excellent which uh, which version is that oh that's fun i like reading the message the psalms in the message are really cool but anyway yeah that's okay excellent here greg you'd asked what that looks like i'll, I'll give you a couple of scenarios um i'll start with messianic people when we use the torah and the fact that we're observant as like leverage against our christian brothers and sisters we're holding on to the enmity Okay. So if like it's like, you know what, they're having a like a, a worship event and you know, maybe it's just open to anyone who wants to go and it's on some, let's say, I don't know, Tuesday evening, but I don't want to hang out with those people cuz I do more of the tour than they do. That's holding onto the enmity, right? Um or Genevieve and I, we like to hang out with a bunch of Christian kids at these potluck things on Thursday evening in Saskatoon. If we were to say, "You know what?" We do the Torah, and they don't do some of the stuff that we do. So you know, we can't really hang out with them. That's holding on to the enmity. Um, the, in my opinion, those would be some examples. On the Christian side, if people say, "Oh, you know, well you're a little bit weird, and we can't really have very close fellowship with you because you don't eat pork," that's holding on to the enmity from the Christian side. You know what I'm saying? It's like when you let the Torah become an issue, relationally speaking. In my opinion, that's holding on to the enmity. I don't know. What do you guys think? What are some practical things we can get out of this? Right. And we so. Right. You know, yeah, excellent. When you say, we're in and you're not. Okay. So Robert, can you use God? <laughs> yeah, use the Torah as a personal guide. Uh, that's excellent. So when we use the Torah against each other, when we judge other people based on the Torah, that's like holding on to the enmity that Yeshua came to abolish. That's what I get out of it. Um, and you get the picture, too,
1: that in his dealings with a common person, that was the kind of stuff Yeshua absolutely hated, you know, like to mm. lift the fallen person out of the gutter or, you know, he'd associate with the low lowlights, but to use the Torah as a weapon or, or any kind of belief
0: as a weapon, that's what he just despised. Right. Yeah, his choicest words for where the really really religious really people, religious people yeah hypocrites. right who didn't have warm hearts for sure um, in 216 he says the cross is what brings us together so what the cross represents is our common ground when we focus on that we're going to be doing well um, in 2 verse 20 he says that every messianic community is founded on the prophets and the Apostles right so this is this is significant for us as a community our foundation is the prophets which is what basically the Hebrew Bible which was written by the prophets of Israel and the Apostles which is what the New Testament right so the Old Testament and the New Testament together the Tanakh and the Apostolic Scriptures that's our foundation that's what we're built on right that's so basic eh? but that's huge um, I like it. in Ephesians 3 5 he calls the Apostles the Holy Apostles kind of like that's kind of cool they're like the Holy Apostles um, In 3, verse 17, uh, we'll finish our look at Ephesians with this. He says, Messiah dwells in our hearts. So, like, that's where you're going to find him. And then he talks about being rooted and grounded in love. So, I don't know, just remember that, hey? When we're we're strong in love, when we stay focused on love, when that's a priority, we're going to have a good foundation. We're not going to get all wonky. Because when you're not rooted and grounded, that's when you get all unstable and wonky and things blow up, blow up right? So love's where it's at. Love is where it's at. Um, yeah. Let's do, let's do one thing from the Torah. We're going we're gonna to act something out. This will be like our last thing. Uh, I want to act out the leper cleansing ritual.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that'll be cool. So um, I, I've arranged for someone to be miraculously struck with leprosy. You're gonna, and kind of like Moses, you know? No, just joking. I, I, we're not going to try that. but anyway, okay, like Leviticus 13 to 15 let's just let's just uh, we'll, we'll finish our study time with this. The middle verse of the Torah is Leviticus 13 33, okay, So like this stuff about cleansing from lepr- leprosy is the very center of the Torah. The Torah, in some regards, revolves around these laws about. Leprosy and how to how to deal with it. Um, that that's the middle letter. There's the middle letter of the Torah, the middle verse, and then there's the middle word. So we have three three middles of the Torah. It makes it funnier. This is the middle verse of the Torah, Leviticus thirteen thirty three. So you could you could say that just like this is the heart of the Torah, this this leper cleansing stuff also tells us something about the heart of the gospel. And that's where I really lock in. That's where I feel like things get more uh, extremely relevant. Um, in Leviticus 13, verses 2 and 9, it says, uh, it says this. When an Adam has a... And then it has all of these leprous things. So that word Adam means anybody and everybody, male or female. It means humanity, right? So in other words, he's saying like leprosy... Is a picture of the disease that has stricken all humanity as a result of sin. Um, last year, when we covered this parsha, I had a series of pictures of people who were in 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 severe cases of leprosy. Uh, it, it broke me up. It, it was it, I cried looking at pictures because it's so sad. I, I'm not. I just I didn't feel like I didn't feel like I was supposed to. We're supposed to look at them this year. But if you want, just go home, get on Google Images and just do leprosy and be prepared to cry. Because it's really sad what happens to people with leprosy. Um, I'll read to you a little thing about leprosy and then we'll act out this this picture of a guy being cleansed. And uh, we'll see how it's a picture of Yeshua and what he does for each one of us and what he wants to do for humanity Uh, here Wikipedia our our source of ultimate and infallible truth has uh, this to say about leprosy leprosy or Hansen's disease is a chronic disease of the peripheral nerves and mucosa of the upper respiratory tract skin lesions are the primary external sign left untreated leprosy can be progressive causing permanent damage to the skin nerves limbs and eyes Contrary to folklore, leprosy doesn't cause body parts to fall off, although they can become numb and or diseased as a result of the disease. Like, man, as I, as, I, as I listen to this and I remember that leprosy is a picture of us as humanity, it's like becoming diseased, becoming numb. Like, isn't that alone so true, of us as humanity without Messiah? Just becoming numb. Historically, leprosy has affected humanity for over 4,000 years. It's interesting because that takes us almost right back to where the flood um, is dated to happen dna taken from the shrouded remains of a man discovered in a tomb next to the old city of jerusalem shows him to be the first human proven to have suffered from leprosy do you think it's significant somehow like the oldest case of leprosy is dna from a man who is buried in the old city of jerusalem i don't know maybe leprosy affects religious people too on on a soul level who knows so, um, yeah. Leviticus 13, 45 and 30, 46. Um, I, I'm going to need like a leper for this. Someone who's going to be our, our leper for, for this. Um, who wants to be my, our, our leper? Don't worry. We're not going to do any. We're not going to like spray paint you red or anything like that. No, yeah. We're not going to shave your eyebrows and stuff. Okay, Dave, you can be a leper. So um, you'll have to come up here. Okay. So you can stand right there. Okay. And um, we'll just read about you. Okay, so it says As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn. So we want you to just just tear it. No, just kidding. You don't have to. Okay, just act it out. You don't have to tear your clothes. And the hair of his head shall be uncovered. And he shall. So you're not allowed to wear your uh, turban. So take off your turban. And he shall cover his mustache. You have a mustache? This is good. I think that means like wearing your clothes right up to your mustache or something. I don't know. Maybe it's to cover the mouth. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, this is good. And he shall cry, unclean, unclean. Unclean,
1: unclean. Is okay,
0: good.
1: I'm unclean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm on. Yeah.
0: Okay, he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He's unclean. He shall live alone His dwelling shall be outside the camp Sorry. That's devotion okay, so this is a pretty sad picture, you know someone who's isolated who's separate from separated from community um, Someone who has to walk around shouting unclean. You have a serious social stigma on you um, yes, you, have no you have no friends yeah except for other lepers um, okay so now in um, Leviticus chapter 14 it describes the cleansing of the leper so we're going to break it down and we're going to see how it's a picture of the gospel uh, I need a cohen I need a priest for this part who's going to be our cohen <laughs> want <William. laughs> Okay, Mike. Hey, you can even wear your talit. Oh, right on. Okay. So here, come over here a little bit more. And then Mr. Cohen Godol, Mr., uh, Mr. Priest, you can stand there. And uh, okay, so firstly, it's, uh, this is a ritual that's conducted under the auspices of the priest. Uh, who is our priest? Yeshua, right. Okay, so this is like a picture of what Yeshua does for us. I think we could infer that. Uh, number two, okay, you're going to take four elements. Now, Tirza's at this stage where she's learning about make-believe, so she'll have her fork, and uh, I'll be like, oh, Tirza, um can I have, feed, maybe you can feed me or something. So she'll pretend to take something and pretend to put it in my mouth, and I'll be like, mm, num, num, what was that? She'll be like, banana or avocado or whatever. It's so cute. I wonder if she would do it right now. Here, maybe bring, grab her. Let's see if she would do it with a fork or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so cute. So we're gonna like we're gonna have to like make believe this, okay? We're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to imagine it, I guess. Hey, Tirza. Tirza, I'm hungry. Can I have some soup, baby? Here. I'll... Here. Come here, Tirza. Okay. Oh, I'm hungry, Tirza. Can I have something to eat? Mmm, yummy. Mm-hmm. Can I have some more? Mmm, mm, yum. What, what was that? What was that, Tirza? What <laughs> okay. are you feeding him? What are you feeding him? Apples? Okay. To that, Tirza. Thank you. You have some too, baby. Have some too. Mmm, yum. What is it? Apples. Apples okay good. It's apples Okay, you want to go to Emma? We love you Okay, yeah, so we'll just kind of make-believe this right (laughs) act it out like that Okay, so um uh, Mr. Coingoodle you're going to need to take two clean live birds if you could show those to us. Oh You it. they're still flapping away um Cedarwood Let me smell it to see if it's cedarwood. Mmm, that's nice. I love cedar smell. Um, you're not allowed to smell it Mm-mm. until you're cleansed.
1: No, I got my uh, purifying t-shirt.
0: Okay, good. Uh, scarlet string. We need some scarlet string. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. You got that. And then um, hyssop. Need some hyssop.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, great. How convenient. Everything's right here. Okay, yeah. so that's the second thing. You take those elements. Uh, three. Go outside the camp to the special venue for this ritual, a place of running water. So let's just. Um, okay, great. So we're just gonna walk over there. We're gonna go outside. Go outside of town. Now we can't move too far, or our live stream friends won't be able to see us. So we have to. Uh, <laughs>
1: so
0: we have to kind of. Yeah, Okay, so the the Hebrew word for uh, running water is Maim Chaim, which literally means what? Living, living. living water. So uh, running water is living water in Hebrew. Camp Living Water is south of PA. Maybe some of you have been there. That's different. Now, um, key number four. We're going to slay the bird in a clay jar over the running water. So come over here a little bit more. So the running water is right here. Okay. Yeah.
1: So uh, you slay over the clay jar, in the clay jar.
0: Um. Kill it in the clay jar over the running water. Evidently. Okay, so I have to go down. Don't look. This is going to be a little bit violent. Ouch. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Good. Uh, number five. Okay, so take the live bird and you dip the live bird along with the cedar wood, the scarlet string, and the hyssop into the clay pot full of water that has the other bird's blood in it. Well, I have to put the hyssop in first and then cedar hyssop, wood. Hyssop, cedar wood. You know, the birds, dunked. don't hold him in there too long or he's going to die. Oh, okay, good, good. Okay, now you're going to sprinkle the one being cleansed seven times.
1: Using the bird, the live bird to sprinkle? Or, no, just my
0: hand. Yeah, just, just your hand is good. And you do it seven times. Okay, what would that be a picture of? Sprinkling the one being cleansed seven times.
1: Well, so, himself uh, yeah, seven times
0: as well to here let's move over here a little bit just both of us move over, over there Complete. oh completion okay um, also okay the, the the bird being killed what would that be a picture of in terms of the gospel okay she was atonement it's kind of like pretty evident eh? but I want to make sure we don't miss that because it's kind of the point of this I think Okay, number seven pronounce him clean
1: you are clean.
0: woo <laughs> Woo-hoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't have to hold my shirt up anymore. Yeah. Okay. So what does that look like in terms of the gospel? Yeshua has cleansed us from us. Yeah, he says, I have cleansed you. You are clean. I know, sometimes I think we need to remember that. Yeah. Okay, uh, number eight. Let the live bird go free over the open field. I like that one. Wow. So what is that a picture of? Freedom, Monsieur Spirit. Okay. Number nine, the one being cleansed washes his clothes. In the water? Sure. Oh, there's some blue tape on the ground that looks like a yeah. little running water. Yeah, yeah. It's perfect. Okay, good stuff. You washed your clothes. Um, number ten, the one being cleansed shaves off all his hair on the seventh day.
1: Oh.
0: Yeah, yeah. All? All of it. Job. yeah don't tell your wife that you're gonna have that done either just walk in and surprise her one day
1: <laughs>
0: you know i i uh, when i was like 16 i dyed my hair and my eyebrows like blonde it was not a good idea it looks so stupid i like dyed them bl- back the next day because but it was so freakish but anyway having your eyebrows like shaved right off would be even wilder i think so anyway uh what is that a, what is that a picture of washing your clothes and having all your hair shaved off Being cleansed. New birth?
1: birth.
0: Okay. Yeah, I like that. Babies don't... Yeah, babies... Uh, Okay. Number 11. On the eighth day, he's presented by the priest who cleansed him at the sanctuary.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, 12, he brings three sheep as offerings and presents a guilt offering, a sin offering, a burnt offering, <laughs> <laughs> and then a grain offering and half a liter of oil. Okay, so you brought all your, all your goods here? No okay, 13, the priest slaughters the guilt offering and puts the blood of the guilt offering on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe of the man or woman being cleansed. Uh okay got it. Do any of you guys like know what dictionary.com is? Mm-hmm. I, I, I get like the dictionary.com like email of the day that has all kinds of cool words and one of them this week was bedaubed. So his Daub. toe, his thumb and his earlobe are now bedaubed.
1: Daub.
0: Yeah. a very
1: helpful thing to do is
0: in a dictionary. I know. I I'm I am uh Yeah, I can't hide it. Yeah. For sure. Okay, so what's that a picture of? Well, like Covering priesthood? The, or anointing. Or are they priesthood? Oh yeah, they do that for um, the priests, I think. Set apart, or, um, being accepted, set apart. Or, like, designated, for purpose. designated for a purpose. Okay. Yeah, that's when you when you think about your when you think about your feet, you think about where you go, right? Mm-hmm. Almost your mission in life. When you think about your hands you think about what you do, your, your actions, maybe your, your work life also. Um, you wouldn't be able to do much without your hands. Um, and then when you think about your ear, what do, what's the function of your ear? Your ear. Well, you listen to. And you know, everybody in this world is listening to somebody. The question is who, eh? So maybe the blood on those areas could be like a picture of our lives lived as a result of the fact that the issue atoned for us. Um, that's what I would get out of that okay then um 14 the priest pours oil in his left palm to put in your left palm and sprinkles the oil with his other hand seven times before yahweh three four five six seven stop good all right Okay, 15, the priest puts some of the oil on the blood that is on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe of the man or woman being cleansed. So now he puts some oil on there. It'd be funner to do this with a Sharpie, hey? So he walks around for a week with a red earlobe. <laughs> uh, Good idea. Yeah. So what is that a picture of? Anointing. Anointing? Okay. So, like, God's spirit, hey? 16. What's that? Isn't this an elaborate ritual? Yeah. I love this. Like, I love the mystical significance of it. Um, 16. The rest of the oil he puts on the head of the man or woman being cleansed.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Nice and shiny. There we go. Okay. And then finally... <laughs> your wife's going to stop you. <laughs> okay, and then the 17th and final one is... <laughs> the priest slaughters the sin offering and the burnt offering and offers the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Ouch. Oh. It's always my least favorite part. Okay. Okay, and then so then the passage concludes by saying, Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he will be clean. There we have it. Thanks guys. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, really, like, we read that chapter and I admit I was lost. Like, you try and follow along and you try and get stuff out of it, but I just can't when we're reading as a congregation. So, anyway, hopefully that will stay with us. Remember, that was you as a leper, and that was what Yeshua did for you, and you're clean if you've, you know, if, if you, if you've accepted him and everything. So, let's finish with that. What do you think? Thank you for joining us in this message. I pray that it's been an inspiration to you and your discipleship to Yeshua the Messiah. Crown of Messiah is a relatively small congregation with a massive mission. We're not just making disciples and teaching the Word of God here in our city, we're also doing that internationally through vehicles such as the internet. It is our joy to offer you these messages for free at absolutely no charge. At the same time, We do have ongoing overhead expenses. It costs us something to produce these teachings and get them out to you. And we would appreciate it if you would, in turn, support our work in a practical way. Help us cover some of our basic expenses. You can do that by going to our website, crownofmessiah.com, and going to the donate page where you can make a one-time donation or you can set up a monthly automated Donation. I'm reminded of the words of Yeshua's Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6. He said, Let the one who is taught the word share everything good with his teacher. So, if you're being taught the word by us, we would appreciate it if you would take the words of Yeshua's Apostle seriously and make some type of return for the blessing that we are giving you for free. That way, we'll all be in it together and we will be a team accomplishing the mission that Yeshua has given us and you will go from only being a receiver to also being a giver. If you're like most people, finances are tight. We understand that. Finances are tight for us too. That's why we need people like you to come alongside us and to back us in the work that Yeshua has called us to do. Thank you so much for making that donation at Chronimassai.com and thank you for becoming a team member with us. We appreciate it.